The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Well, good morning. It's uh, good to see you back, to see a full house, to have the start of the spring term, and uh, really great to see the new students with us. Glad that uh, the rest of you have returned. Looking forward to what the Lord will do here in this spring term. Uh, I'm also looking forward to the time that we have together in chapel and the time that I have with you. Uh, I want to begin a a new uh, series this semester, this spring, in talking about the wisdom of an intentional life. We're going to take a look at some proverbs and some practical implications of those proverbs. Uh, But uh, I do uh, want us to focus on what it means to live the Christian life. Uh, When we're together in chapel like this and we sing the way we've sung and particularly focused on the work of Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection for the way in which that transforms us and is to guide our lives. That's fitting for us to do as Christians. It's what we do when we gather to worship on the Lord's Day. It's what we do when we gather uh, to worship together in chapel here to think on what it means to live out our faith, that uh, these things that we believe to be true are not just... uh, things that we state, or even things that uh, make us feel a certain way, but rather the things that we believe to be true are to guide the way that we think and the way that we live. And uh, so this semester, I want to focus on some very practical aspects of living life with intentionality, and I do want to focus particularly on a few passages from the book of Proverbs over the course of the semester. But it is also important for us to see that as Christians, that is rooted in the authority and the trustworthiness and the truthfulness of God's word and in the person and work of Jesus Christ in the gospel and its transforming work in our lives. You've heard me say this many times, the Christian life is to be lived. It's not simply a list of beliefs. It's not even just an abstract spiritualism. Our life is to be lived with purpose and for a purpose. There's no winging it for the Christians. There's no aimless wandering for Christians. There's no passive existence for Christians. Life is to be lived intentionally, with purpose and for a purpose. And the Bible is very clear in the way it instructs us about that. In fact, the passage that Dean Swift read for us is that verse that we're focused on as a university all year from Psalm 25. Lord, make me to know your ways. Teach me, Lord. You instruct me, and I will walk accordingly. I'll wait for you all the day long. That is to be uh, our, our life's prayer. We want what God wants. We want his way. We want to walk accordingly. That's what it means to be a follower of the Lord Jesus. We, we follow after him. We don't take him along with us. We follow along after him. And so I want to focus on a few things this semester that will have us thinking about practically what it means to live intentionally. The problem with thinking about this idea of living intentionally, the Christian life, is that it gets a little tricky There are a lot of things that vie for our attention in life, and it's one of the reasons that we like to come apart uh, and away from the distractions of life to a setting like this that we can pray and hear the reading of Scripture and worship together. 
It's part of why we gather at the beginning of each semester the way that, that uh, Dr. Swift referenced. We come together as a faculty and staff to pray and to focus on God's word and to sing together, to attune our minds and hearts, to focus on the Lord Jesus and our work because there's so many other things that happen. There are, there's a campus to get ready. There are things to attend to. There are classes to teach and assignments to grade and food to prepare and rooms to tend to and safety concerns. There's all kinds of things in the everyday life of living that get in the way. And so we come away to sing and to praise God and to hear his word and to learn together. It's what we do when we come away as Christians. We step out of the tedium of life and the, the things that we deal with on a regular basis to fellowship together and to be instructed. The early church did this. It gathered together for prayer and the reading of scripture. We're instructed in Hebrews to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but all the more as we see the day approaching because we need that that opportunity to step away and to be encouraged. Because living life in the day-to-days, there's just lots of stuff that has to be attended to. There's a reason that we don't focus on the glory of God every minute of every day. It's because you have roommates and you have friends and you have other things that you deal with and you have assignments and you have things that have to be taken care of. And that's the reality of life. But make no mistake that because life is busy and full and there are lots of things that need to be done, doesn't mean that it should be lived passively. Doesn't mean we should just be drifting. Doesn't mean we should just be wandering aimlessly. It is possible to live a life with purpose and for purpose, to bring some intentionality to bear upon our lives. And so as we begin this semester, I would like to call your attention to one particular proverb to think about these practical realities. And it actually comes from a conversation I had over the Christmas break with some alum. We actually had some alum reach out over the Christmas break and wanted to visit, and we were talking, and uh, one of them asked the question about, do we do New Year's resolutions? And I confess to you now, I do not because I have a miserable track record and I don't like depressing myself at the outset of every year with this list of things that I don't do two days into the year. That's the reality of it. I just never got into the practice. I have friends that love to do it. I have friends that take whole days to reflect on the 29th or 30th of the year on what's coming up and they have a list of goals and objectives. And I grew up in a setting where New Year's resolutions were part of these public school class assignments, dioramas on New Year's resolutions. Come on, give me a break, right? It's like, how much of this are we going to do? But you know, this is a time of year when we start thinking about what do we want to do differently? That's actually a great exercise. In fact, I would make the argument that, that you should be doing that on a fairly regular basis. What am I doing now that I don't want to do? What am I not doing that I want to do? How should I be approaching this particular aspect of life or this relationship? It's not a bad thing to do. And at this start of the year, as we were having this conversation, with the alumni that were at our house about New Year's resolutions, I started to think about the opportunity that is before us to start fresh so often in the academic cycle of things, a new academic year, a new academic semester. And so here we are at the beginning of a semester, and I'd like you to think about this practical aspect of life. The practical realities of life require attention and intentionality. We're exhorted in Scripture, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, to be diligent and vigilant in the way we think and live. But if you think about, culturally speaking, just talking about being vigilant and diligent is a downer. It's, it's impositional. It implies that I have to actually change the way that I'm doing things presently. Yes. 
Yes, in fact, it's really hard to read the scripture in, in any way and not see that it calls us to have a deeper faith, a more expressed faith, a more intentional Christian life, a more obedient life. It's very difficult to read the scripture and not see that it, it, it exhorts us to be stronger, to be, to be more consistent, to be more forgiving, to be more gracious, to be more loving. And if that's impositional, then the, we're going to have a problem with the Christian life because it's all about walking and being conformed to the image of Christ over the course of our lives. Even in singing that song, all my life you've been faithful, relatively speaking, you have a lot of runway in front of you. There's much more life to be lived. And so I would like us to be thinking about this reality that Scripture calls us to be diligent and vigilant in the way we think in the way we live. There is no winging it. There is no aimless wandering. There is no purposeless living for the Christian. We see this in the book of Colossians in chapter 3. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Whatever you do, do it heartily. Whatever you do, do it heartily. You should live heartily. You should live intentionally. So I would like you to open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, if you would, to chapter 24. There's one particular proverb that I want to focus our attention on this morning. I uh, love the book of Proverbs. I have a practice that I began as a teenager when I was being discipled at a Christian camp of attempting to read uh, a passage, a chapter of Proverbs every day. And for more than 40 years, I have been reading almost uh, every day, almost a full chapter of Proverbs, at least every day. Some years I do better than others, depending on how well I'm sticking to my resolutions. But I try to read from Proverbs every day because it's a discipline about being intentional regarding the pursuit of wisdom. The Bible clearly teaches us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom and also that we are to pray for it because God gives it freely. But wisdom is also something that has to be sought it has to be cultivated. It has to be practiced. Navigating life with skill means looking and learning and changing. In Proverbs chapter 4, Solomon tells his children, with all your getting, get wisdom. And in James chapter 1, the apostle writes that if you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given. And in the balance of Scripture, we see that we're actually to apply wisdom, which means we have to go after it. We have, to, we have to pursue it. We have to cultivate it in our lives. We have to live according to it. And there are some difficult things in the Bible regarding wise living. There are some things that are confrontational with regard to the way that we presently think and live. I read from it every day, and every day I'm humbled by the fact that no matter how wise we think we are, we are nowhere near approaching the wisdom of God. And there's so much more to learn and understand that reading it every day for your entire lives will not make you ultimately perfect in wisdom, but it is a necessary pursuit. So I want to focus our attention this morning on a passage from the book of Proverbs. I'll say right now that it's easy to read this passage as a bit of a downer. 
but it's the word of God, and I actually think that it's really profound and something we should be focusing on. <clears throat> the collection of Proverbs in chapter 24, verse 30, begins this way. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Father, give us uh, clear minds to think on this passage of Scripture. Use it to instruct us and to strengthen us, to increase our understanding and to lead us in a way of diligent and vigilant and intentional living, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. This is a passage of scripture which I want to begin with is not a criticism of sleep. I think what happens is we look at these passages, we say, oh, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands and pop. Wait a second. Does this mean, you know, I'm supposed to be one of those people that goes on four or five hours of sleep? Only if you're one of those people that can succeed on four or five hours of sleep. If it ruins your mind and your body and your social world, do not attempt to go on four hours of sleep. But some of you are looking around saying, you know, I really need 16. That is not, unless you have an issue, and there are physiological issues that might require, uh, but most of us, 16 hours of sleep is escapism, not refreshment. Right? I had a relative years ago who used to look at sleep as, uh, he used to view it as a bank account. I made a big withdrawal on Saturday, so tomorrow I'm making a huge deposit, right? I got two hours last night, I'm sleeping for 15. He always felt miserable because our bodies don't work that way. This is not, however, a criticism of sleep. There's something much more profound about this. It's not even a criticism of rest. There's something much more profound. It's not even a criticism uh, uh, of, of those who are not busy. There's much more profound teaching in this passage than that. In Proverbs 24, verses 30 to 34, there are profound lessons to be learned from the sluggard. His ground is overgrown with thorns and nettles. This does not happen overnight. His stone walls have broken down. They have gone without repair. The time to pull weeds is when they first appear. And the time to repair a stone wall is when the first stones tumble from their places. What this proverb is giving us is a practical approach to life that's necessary for us if we're going to live intentionally. If we're going to do something other than wander aimlessly or live passively, there's something significant to be understood and applied here. I love this passage. It was something that uh, I wrestled with early on in my Christian walk as I was reading the book of Proverbs and being discipled. We would do some things related to the New Testament and gospel. We would spend time reading from the Old Testament and talking about these Proverbs on, during the course of our daily activities at the camp. And this is a passage that I've mulled over quite a bit. And I think it's interesting that the writer of Proverbs includes this. It's meant to be instructive for all of us. This is not simply a word to the sluggard in the crowd. This is actually something for all of us. He says to all his children, I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. He passes judgment on what he sees based upon the condition of the man's establishment. And he equates sluggardliness, not doing your job, not doing your work, with lacking sense. 
because this is the reality. There are consequences for the choices we make. That's the reality. We want to believe that somehow consequences are imposed by the systems around us, when in reality the consequences are an outworking of our choices. If you choose not to do your work for your, for your classes, the consequence will manifest itself in your grades. And you can wish that away, but it will not change. If you neglect your physical well-being, if you don't eat and you don't attend to your physical well-being, there will be consequences down the road. It's just the reality of life. We see it in the New Testament. You reap what you sow. There are consequences. And so what happens here is the sluggard, the man lacking sense, is someone who is, who is not doing the things that must be done. And there's an equating between avoiding the things that must be done and this issue of lacking sense. It's nonsensical. It's a foolish thing to do. And again, it's not just for the sluggard. It's for all of us to see there is a consequence to not doing what needs to be done. In fact, the writer says, I passed by the field of the sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and this is what I saw. It was all overgrown with thorns. Now the issue here is, it's not like there were a few thorns. It's not like, it's not like there, was, there was the potential for weeds and thorns. No, he says the whole place was completely overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles. Thorns and nettles are not fruit-producing plants. The issue is that this productive land had become unproductive. If you have productive land and it becomes unproductive, there will be a consequence. You will not have something to eat, something to live off of, or something to sell. You're not taking care of the ground if you're a farmer, and it's, it, it renders itself useless. There's no good purpose that comes for it. And it is his destruction. Now, I know the first thing, okay, first of all, it's not a passage that's criticizing sleep. It's not a passage that's criticizing rest. It's not a passage that is only designed for those of us that are struggling with sluggard, sluggardliness, I guess if that's a word. It's also not a passage that's just for farmers. Because if it were, most of you could leave the room, right? It's not, it's not literal in that sense. It's a lesson from a literal reality, right? Those of you who have gardened or have worked on a farm, you know that this is the reality of life. If you don't tend to the ground and it gets overgrown, it chokes out the productive plants. But all of us, we don't need to be, we don't, you don't really need to be experienced in, in agrarian lifestyle or agriculture to get this, right? It's, it's figurative and it applies to our lives. If you don't attend to these things, if the ground gets overgrown, you're in trouble. It will lack productivity. And then he says this, then the, the walls have broken down. Well, what do the walls do? Well, they divide one field from another. They keep livestock from wandering where they're not supposed to be. The issue here is that the ground has been overgrown with thorns and nettles, and the stone walls are breaking down. Now, what's interesting is there's a criticism coming to the sluggard. He's done this. He, he, he has not done his work. He's not attended to his operation. He hasn't attended to the things that needed to get done. And so the thorns have grown up and the ground's going to, and the stones, and the issue here is not, and your neighbors will think poorly of you. The issue here is ruination is coming to you because you are not doing the things that need to be done. 
This is not a passage about making your place look nice so that other people won't talk badly about you. This is actually about you doing what needs to be done so that your life is productive, so that you are producing fruit, so that, there is, so that ruination does not come to you. Diligence and vigilance and attentiveness and intentionality are not done to impress others. They're done because it's good for you and good for others who will eat the fruit of your quote-unquote land. We don't do these things to make ourselves look more spiritual. We don't do these things to make ourselves look better than someone else. We do them because it's good for us and good for others. And that's a completely different orientation. The sluggard isn't avoiding being labeled a sluggard because people think badly about him and hang a sign around his neck that he's a sluggard. The sluggard's problem is he is ruined by this. Poverty and want descend upon him. It's not the sluggard folds his hands and takes rest and sleeps instead of works, and so his neighbors don't think very highly of him. That's not the problem. It's not the problem that the sluggard doesn't attend to his work, and so people will think that he's not a good farmer, or they, they'll, they'll consider his place to be an eyesore. The passage is very clear. By not doing what needs to be done, it's his ruination. Poverty and want descend upon him. There's something very practical in this. And it is, if you just think about it, figurative. Now, let me just say, in a, in a room this size, it's probably true that we have some of you that lean towards sluggishness. It's also possible that there are some of you in this room who actually think that vigilance and diligence and attending to things and living intentionally is synonymous with busyness. The reality is that some of you are saying, I don't really need to be exhorted not to be a sluggard because I'm possessed by this thing of perfection and overworking. This is what is happening. The sluggard is not doing what needs to be done. It isn't that he's not busier than the person next to him. It's that he hasn't attended to the things that need to be attended to. He's not focused on the basic important things that will make his land and life productive. It's not, that he's, it's not just that he's not busy. It's not just that he's not working. It's not that he's not a perfectionist. None of that is here. What it is is he stopped pulling weeds, and now they've completely overtaken him. He stopped repairing his walls, and now they're completely broken down. You can get that. You can separate that out from those of you that are feeling a little sluggish and those of you that are feeling sort of overwhelmed because you're, you're workaholics and perfectionists. That's not what this is saying. What this is saying is behold and be careful. Behold and be careful that life requires a degree of intentionality or there will be consequences. There's something interesting in this passage that has always struck me uh, that I've tried to apply to my own life and in the raising of my children and teaching them how to learn. I find it very interesting in the Proverbs. For, you know, the one that always strikes me is the one, consider the ant. You stop and actually look at the ants, right? Now, you know, you're walking across the walkway and you see someone stopped looking at ants. You might not think very highly of them, but it's in the Proverbs, so let them alone. If they're looking at the ants, let them alone. But what happens here is, it says, I, I, behold, I'm walking, and I walk past the field of a sluggard. And by the vineyard of that man lacking sense, and behold, it was overgrown. So here's what I would say to you. If part of living an intentional life, a wise life, part of navigating this life, 
skillfully is not to experience all the failures that are to be experienced. At the same time, being willing to recognize that it's, sometimes it's only by making our own mistakes that we actually learn anything worthwhile. But it is possible to live life in what the writer of the Proverbs is saying, which is look around at what you see and describe it in detail and then think on it and learn from it and ask yourself, if this, then what will I do differently? There is such a tendency for us to think that we are bound by the mistakes of our parents or the bound by the mistakes of our pastors or bound by the mistakes of other people. That We're just one more. In the, you can look at someone else's life. You can assess it and describe what you see and learn from it. He, is not, he does not protect his children, the writer of Proverbs, from looking at the life of the sluggard and calling it what it is. Look. He isn't saying, look, this guy's, this guy's bent for damnation. He says, look, the, the ground's completely overgrown. The walls are completely broken down. Don't let that happen to you. It is possible for us to live life with our eyes open. Part of living life intentionally is being observant to what is going on around you and without being critical and negative and judgmental to actually describe what you see and learn from it. I, I tell you something right now. There's no better way for some of you to be thinking about marriages than to look at the marriages around you. Describe what you see and learn from it. There's no better way for you to learn about parenting than to look at what you see going on around you, describe it, and learn from it. There's no better way for you to think about what it means to be an older Christian than to watch older Christians and describe what you see and learn from it. The good and the negative. Living life intentionally means that we're not walking through life unobservant. And then, though, it requires this thinking on what you see. Then I saw and I considered it. I looked and received instruction. And this is the conclusion that he comes to. A little sleep and a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty comes upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Again, he is not saying you shouldn't sleep. He isn't saying you shouldn't rest. This is in the scripture that talks about the Sabbath. What he's saying is, you make choices every day, and those choices have consequences. The sluggard makes his choice. He chooses sleep and slumber over work. He scorns discipline and diligence and vigilance. He takes a pass on sweating and toiling, and it is his ruin. So what do we do? Well, we think about it this way. The, the idea here is that you should want something more than what the sluggard has done. In fact, what the wise writer of Proverbs is saying is you pass by and you learn. There's something more here. It's not just look at what that guy did or didn't do. It's actually, do you want to have your life turn out that way or would you like it to be different? What do you want? Proverbs 13 there's a passage that says this, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. The soul of the diligent is richly supplied. What do you want? Do you want to be diligent or are you content to be sluggardly? Have you confused diligence with busyness and so you're completely inundated with things that keep you from attending to the things that really matter in life? The wisdom of Proverbs is that you will focus on the things that matter most and attend to those things. Do the work of living. What do I think? It's that simple. 
if I was going to put it on a bumper sticker, I'd say, don't be a sluggard. It doesn't turn out well in the end. Don't be a sluggard. If you are, stop. Now, how do I do that? Well, first I'd say you decide that it's not what you want to be. Now is the time to stop and think about how you want to be. Decide you do not want to be that. I do not want to be the man lacking sense, the one who doesn't attend to things until it's completely overgrown and you have to walk away and leave the hard work to someone else. Decide it's not one you want to be. These are not the consequences you want for your life. And then this, begin working now. Slowly, incrementally, not being overwhelmed by it, start chipping away. Start attending to your life. Start cleaning things up. By that I don't mean your rooms, although not a bad place to start. Start building things back that matter, slowly, daily, brick by brick. Uh, some years ago, I was involved in a construction project at another institution where I worked, and one of the main walls was brick, and we were running behind schedule and trying to get the building done before the start of the new academic year, and every morning I would walk out of my house, and there would be the, the bricklayer, the mason there, putting the wall up. And I would say to him, how's it going today, Sean? Making progress? And he'd say, well, you know, Todd, they're bricks. One on top of two, one on top of two. It's an old bricklayer's principle. That's just what you do. You don't, you don't buy a brick wall prefabbed. It won't fit in your car, right? You build a brick wall one brick at a time, one on top of two. If this passage speaks to you that you've been trapped in sluggardliness, then start the long walk out slowly, incrementally, exercising some discipline and diligence. Do your work. One on top of two, building back brick by brick. If you're someone who's here who has mistakenly confused diligence and vigilance and discipline with being busy, stop and re-examine. Are you attending to things other than the ground of life? and the walls that are required to bring order and sense. This is an important reflection. The, the whole proverb begins with someone actually making an observation and reflecting upon it, leading you and I as the readers to stop now and reflect upon our own lives. Where is it that the ground is being overgrown? Where is it in our lives that the walls are breaking down? What will we do to begin to make a correction? It's so tempting in the things of life to choose passivity, to choose the easy way, to choose the convenient way. But there are consequences for those things. And no matter what the world around you tells you about whether or not those consequences are fair or unfair, it's a reality of life. There are consequences for the choices we make. So you're beginning a new semester. How would you like to live it? Now's the time to ask yourself that question. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do indeed thank you for your goodness and grace, for all the blessings that we enjoy in and through your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray that by your grace, you would instill in us a desire to do all things heartily as unto you, that we would see our lives 
to be lived as outworkings of the gospel work in us, that we would commit ourselves to following after you and to obedient and faithful service of you. But we pray in the practical moments of life that you would impress upon us the importance of navigating those things skillfully, of being diligent and vigilant, of being attentive to our lives and living intentionally. Keep us from the sin of indolence and passivity. Father, for those of us that are feeling overwhelmed, who are feeling busy, who don't know how to rest and don't know how to prioritize, we pray that you would grant wisdom to know what are the things that should be focused on and what are the things that can be left to wait. But for those of us that are struggling to care and to want to work, to desire to keep the ground of our lives attended to and the walls firmly built up and strong, we pray for grace to attend to those things. We pray, Father, that we might not expect to live life apart from consequences, but rather be mindful that that which we reap, we also sow. And that we have choices to make about the way we use our time, the way we expend our energy. We pray that you would give us the grace and wisdom to do so in a manner that is wise and worthy of you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Have a great day.